Well, good morning, Transformation Church. It's good to see y'all this morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Had a, a good weekend this break, and um, we have a good rest of the weekend today. Hope you guys have a good one. But today we're going to be in um, Isaiah 9, the beginning of Isaiah 9. You guys can go ahead and open up your Bibles and turn there if you'd like to read along with me. But we look at Isaiah 9, the beginning of Isaiah 9, and even really the end of Isaiah chapter 8 is describing this time of great, great darkness and despair. There's no hope or anything. And it uses this language of just heavy oppression, uh, people that are walking in darkness, people living in the land of the shadow of death. And it just sounds real, real, real grim. And the mood changes, though, from this this grim-sounding darkness, despair, to hope and joy. See, it, it begins to speak of those who were living in darkness are now beginning to walk in the light. And it speaks of a light shining upon those who have dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. That oppression that it talked about has been shattered. It speaks again of a, a great harvest and great joy that's coming. And it's all rooted, all this time of this despair and darkness turning to hope and joy is rooted in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. So if you guys will stand with me, we'll read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And what the text says is, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David to order and establish his kingdom from that time on forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This time of despair, yeah, yeah, you guys can see it, sorry about that. This time of despair, this time of darkness, turning to hope and joy is all rooted in the birth of this child that we see in verse 6. This passage speaks of one who will rule upon the throne of David and it talks about him ruling for all eternity. That's a big time promise. And then it lists some of his titles that he's going to have. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's no doubt that this is going to be some sort of just amazing ruler, some sort of just just incomprehensible figure that we see, and we read that, and we as we read te- like the rest of scripture, and we put it all together, we see this is the fulfillment, or this is prophesying the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and we see that in Second Samuel chapter seven, where God promises David, He says, David. Well, he doesn't say that literally, but David, you know, there's going to be one from your line, you know, one of your descendants, and he's going to sit on your throne forever and ever, rule over my people. That's the promise they made to God. That's what we call the Davidic covenant. And even if you look back to Isaiah 7:14, you'll see what your Bible may have listed as the Emmanuel prophecy. That's what my Bible has listed as the Emmanuel prophecy. And what that says is that the same David ruler is talking about the same child is going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in this passage, it's continuing. It's a little talking about the fulfillment of this Davidic covenant. As we read our Bibles, we, you know, we read these passages in Isaiah. We read passages in 2 Samuel. Whenever we make it to the New Testament, we see the New Testament authors are portraying Jesus as this same figure, the same Davidic ruler that has come now. Matthew's gospel, he starts off with this genealogy of Jesus Christ. He talks about how he came from the line of David. He's a descendant of David. And then 
in Matthew's gospel in chapter one, the dream that Joseph has, God comes to him and says, Mary, she's going to have a baby. Mary was a virgin at the time. We know that she's going to have a baby and you will call him Emmanuel and is God with us. This is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. And we see in Luke's gospel, it also portrays Jesus' as fulfillment of this prophecy. In chapter one, this angel comes to Mary and says, unto you a child will be born. And he will rule over the throne of David forever and ever. There'll be no end to his kingdom. So it's no, we can see clearly that these New Testament authors are reading these scriptures. They, they've heard these prophecies before and they're showing, hey, this is him. He's come. This is what you guys have been waiting for. He's here. He's fulfilled it. And so we read it in the rest of scripture. We see that there's a time of darkness and despair, but the reversal of that to joy and hope was all rooted in the birth of Jesus Christ. I know it seems like I'm kind of going back and forth here. You know, Second Samuel, Isaiah, Matthew, Luke, we're going, we're going all back and forth. That's kind of the point is that it's all rooted together. It's all, everything in here is talking about everything up here. It's all talking about Jesus coming. And that, is, you know, Scripture doesn't start right here. Scripture starts way back here, and it goes all the way through. And we're talking about Jesus coming, and his plan of redemption starts at the very beginning, and it goes on forever. And we see it at the end of Scripture. So, you know, they were living in this time of darkness, and it was rude, and the time of it turning to hope and joy was rooted in Jesus Christ's birth and his coming, as you might call it. And you could say that we live in a time of darkness and despair right now as well. You know, there's poverty all over the world, maybe not specifically in your neighborhood, but you don't have to go too far to find people that are really in need of help. War and terror and division, they're all over the world. We, we see people divided. We see hate all over the world. And a lot of times it seems like this beautiful, good world that God created doesn't have much good in it. And it's, it's a depressing thought to think about that. That's just the way we feel sometimes. In this world, it, uh, it seems very dark and it, it beats us down. It causes depression. We, see, we sing the song about just, uh, I speak Jesus. is talking about how Jesus is the cure to that and everything. Just like... Jesus' first coming was the, the key to the reversal to hope for them. His second coming is the key to reversal of hope for us. Because we live in a time that's grim, but we can find hope and joy rooted in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And we can find hope. and That's where our joy and hope can be rooted in. But that's a sermon for a different day. But today, we are, we are talking about until that time comes, we do still have Jesus as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our eternal Father, and our Prince of Peace. And as you guys have known, as we've talked about, that's the sermon series we're going to be doing leading up till Christmas. Obviously, Isaiah 9 is a, a Christmas passage talking about the birth of Jesus, what we celebrate during passage. You know, you hear it, and that's the reason for the season. So that's, that's the passage we're going to be, or the, uh, the sermon series we're going to be doing. And, and today we're going to be covering Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. So we're going to see, dive into text, see how we can see how Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor and our Mighty God. So I want to start with how he's our wonderful counselor, and for that, I want to start with an anecdote or a little story from when I was in elementary school. I went to Brooks Elementary School. I was, this time, I was probably like, maybe like five or six. So I was young. It's important, you know, I'm young. I wasn't just really dumb or anything. I was just young. <laughs> breathing all in this thing. Hold on. Okay. I think that's, I think that's better. Okay. So I remember being in gym class one time. And after gym class, you know, you go out and you stand in the hallway and you have to line up and be quiet and wait for the teacher so you can go to your next class. It's not like in high school where after class ends and you just go to the next class. Not like in elementary school, you have to wait in the line. The teacher will all lead you to the next class. And I remember sitting there 
and there, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I had something that I was thinking about, like a question that I had, and I was like, man, I really am really curious about this. I wanted to know the answer. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, like, I'm not supposed to talk right now. I'm supposed to be quiet. So like, how can I find this out? And I'd, I'd seen a commercial on TV. You guys probably saw the same one where there's this guy, you know, he gets in a, a car wreck, and he goes, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And the State Farm agent pops up, and he's like, how can I help you? So in my head, I'm like, well, I think my parents have State Farm. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting. This is a true story, right? And I, I'm, I'm in the line, and I'm like, under my breath, I'm like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just kind of. And in my head, I'm thinking that this State Farm agent is going to pop up, and I can ask him my question. I'm not, I know I was young, okay? But <laughs> it, it's, that, that's what I thought was going to happen. And obviously, it did not happen. Um, but that's kind of the idea of what we have as Jesus as our wonderful counselor is that he is a guide for us. He is someone that can, he, he can lead us and guide us. And Jesus, he is a wonderful counselor. He, he's God. He, because he's God, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and he's full of this godly wisdom. So because of that, that makes him a wonderful counselor. And because he's a wonderful counselor, we can trust him to guide us. That's the first point I want you all to get. Because he's a wonderful counselor, we can trust him to guide us. And a lot of times, I think, you know, we all struggle sometimes with trusting God to guide us. And, you know, I was thinking through that, like, well, you know, why do we do that? Like, why shouldn't we do that? And I I think the, the words of Jacqueline Hill Perry are applicable here. She says that God cannot sin against you. And I think when we think about that, like, we can trust him to guide us because he can't sin against us. He cannot lead us wrongly. He cannot do no wrong against us. Or he can do no wrong against us. I say he cannot. He can do no wrong against us because he's God. So we can trust him to guide us. And then we say, well, okay, well, where is he going to guide me and how is he guide me? That's something I think we, uh, we all need to, need to know and understand. And you know, I was thinking about that, and I, I was reading Matthew, and I thought, well, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters uh, 5 through 7 of Matthew, Jesus gives all these different, you know, just sermon illustrations, sermon examples, uh, messages about how to live a godly life. And at the end of that, he says that whoever hears these words of mine and obeys them, it's like the wise man who built his house on the rock, and when the winds came and the rain fell and the wind beat against the house and floods and all that, the house stood because it had a firm foundation. But whoever hears these words of mine and does not listen to them, doesn't obey them, is like the foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the floods came, the rain came, wind came, and the house fell because it was, had a weak foundation. So God, he, or Jesus, he leads us into godly living, a godly life, and he does so through his word. That's the second point I want you guys to get, that Jesus guides us to godly living and he does so through his word. We read his word, and he teaches us how to live a godly life. And it takes us to godly living, and it's through his word. Um, it's a new life. We, we read, a, or we did a sermon series not too long ago, A New Identity. We, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that anyone who's a follower of Christ is a new creation. We're a new person whenever we become a follower of Christ. And from then on, we are to pursue godliness and to reject godlessness. And as God guides us into godliness, we should be obedient because as he leads us to godliness, he's leading us away from sin. Because godliness and sin are, you know, opposites, obviously. In God, there's no sin, and God cannot sin. So as he leads us to be more like him, as he sanctifies us, we are being brought away from sin. As Paul says, how shall we who have died to sin 
live in it any longer. We we are called to be out of sin. We are called to live a godly life, and God will show us how to live a godly life through His Word. And the next thing that we have to do, so He, he we have to trust Him to guide us, and then. He's going to guide us into godly living through his word, and then we have to be obedient where he does guide us. And I think this is an analogy that I thought of one day, just randomly, like, sophomore year of high school. And I, I used to really like the song, Jesus Takes the Wheel, Carrie Underwood. Our, I do, yeah, and Tracy said he still loves it. I do still like it, but not as much as I used to. But I don't listen to it as much anymore. But anyway, it, it used to be, like, my favorite song. You ask my mom in high school, we always say, hey, Jesus take the wheel all the time. We'd say it all the time. Anyway, but in that song, you know, it's, she's talking about, like, Jesus take the wheel. Like, God, guide me. Take it from my hands. I can't do it on my own. Like, I'm letting go. Jesus take the wheel. I'm not going to sing it for you. If Holly was here, maybe she would, but, <laughs> but I'm not going to sing it for you. But, you know, is God guide me? God lead me? And that's something I think every Christian says, like, 500 times a day. I mean, we're all like, are like you know, like, God, lead me. Like, guide me. And it's good to have that that mentality, but we also have to be obedient, because a lot of times, like, to use the example, like, we take our hands off the wheel, but then we start going somewhere we don't, and either, you know, maybe you try to grab the wheel back, or maybe you slam on the brakes, you know, whatever it is, you know, we, we, we try to take control back. We have to be obedient. Scripture talks about obedience over and over again, and my favorite, or one of my favorite examples is in Acts 5 where Peter and some of these other apostles, they're preaching about Jesus, and they get arrested. And they're in jail, and then God sends this angel to free them, but also to send them to continue to preach. The, the angel says, all right, I'm, I'm here to free you, and also go and preach about Jesus. And they do, and they, um, obviously, the, the officers that arrest them find them in the temple, and they're like, hey, like, didn't we just arrest you? Like, what are you doing? We just told you not to do this. And they just simply say, that it's better to obey God than man. So we should leave the guidance up to God, and we should focus on remaining faithful to what he calls us to do, the course that he sets for us. And why shouldn't we obey God? Right? As I said, he can't sin against us. And he's all good. He's all loving, all knowing, all powerful. He's God. And we know Romans 8.28 works together all here. He works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we know that, also from Romans 8, that everything that seems so dark and just grim and despairing about this world can't compare to the joy and the glory that will be revealed in us when Christ comes back. And that's what Scripture tells us in Romans 3. It tells us that we've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 8 tells us that that glory that we lack is made up for in our union with Christ. So that we all know that, or we've been told that from Romans 8, that everything that seems so dark, it can't even compare to the joy and the glory that's coming. So because of these things, we have the assurance to follow God's guidance where it may be. And not only is he our wonderful counselor, but he's also a mighty God. Over and over again, the New Testament portrays Jesus as this mighty God who cannot be thwarted. His plans cannot be thwarted. He does whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. He's his mighty God. Think about the miracles he performed. He healed blind people. He healed mute people, crippled people with his touch, with his words. He cleansed lepers. He walked on water. He forgives people of sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he rose from the dead. Jesus had the power to lay down his life and then pick it up again. His own power, his own will, all on his own. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that 
because of this that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, the author writes about Jesus' superiority to the angels, over the angels. And these are the things that God the Father says about Jesus and to Jesus. He says that Jesus is his son and that all the angels should worship him. He says that Jesus will sit on his throne forever and ever. And that he tells Jesus to sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. It is so clear that these passages are just displaying the mightiness of Jesus, the superiority of Jesus. You remember earlier when we said that just like they were expecting Jesus to come first, the first time, and that's where they found their hope, we're expecting Jesus to come a second time, that's where we find our hope and joy. The full fruition of Jesus as mighty God is going to be whenever he comes back. And we read the, the book of Revelation tells us of a time when Jesus will rule over all from all time, just like Pastor Mike was talking about him ruling in Jerusalem forever and ever. It says, uh, uh, Revelation eleven fifteen through 16, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped him. Jesus Christ is mighty indeed. And because he's so mighty, we should obey him. We, we talk about the Great Commission found in uh, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, or not, sorry, Matthew 28, sorry. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We talk about that a lot, and we should. Some of his last words to his disciples where he's commissioning them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded them. And he says, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. And I think it's important that we look at verse 18 as well, because when we look at verse 18, it says this, that Jesus came to them and spoke, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So before he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, he tells them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of Because we know that he's been given all authority, we can trust him we, to obey him. We don't have to fear anything that can happen to us because the God that sent us, Jesus Christ, has been given all authority over heaven and earth and everything on the earth. So we can trust him when he tells us, Hey, I'm going to be with you to the end of the world. You can go, you can go and make disciples of all nations because I've been given all authority on heaven and earth, and I send you. You have authority because I have authority, and I'm sending you to do this, and I'll be with you to the end of the earth. So Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor who we can trust to guide us because he guides us into godly living. He does so with his word that he has given to us, and we have the responsibility to be obedient to where he guides us. And although that can be difficult at times to follow God's guidance because we get you know, worried or scared about what can happen to us or our families or something like that, we have no need to fear because Jesus Christ is a mighty God who's been given authority over all things for all time, and he promises to be with us forever. And as his word assures us, we do not need to fear a world that Jesus overcame. So if you're going through life right now and you don't have you know, if you have a lot of fear, or a lot of anxiety, or you don't have much guidance, maybe it's because you don't have a wonderful counselor or a mighty God leading you. So that, that's, the, uh, that's the, the, the call I want to give you today is that if you feel like you're not being guided, you don't have uh, any authority, you don't have, you're just full of fear, maybe it's because you need to have that relationship with Jesus. He can guide you and he can uh, 
take away that fear. And that's the, that's the charge I want to give you today. And if you are a believer, you have Jesus, I want you to have the confidence that Jesus is your wonderful counselor and he is your almighty God. So you can be bold. You can ask God for godly wisdom to guide you into godly living. Read his word. Read his word, the whole word, and it will guide you. And he'll be... It will guide you into godly living, and then you can be obedient in that. And you can have the boldness to be obedient to his word because you know that Jesus Christ has all authority over everything for all times. So I'll pray, and Matt will lead us in one more song. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, this group that we have right here, this church that we have, this family that we have. We're so appreciative for all these people. And we just pray that as we go out that we would just continue to read your word and that you would continue to lead us into godly living through it. And we thank you for your words so that we can, uh, we can learn about you and how you reveal yourself to us. We thank you for that, and we pray that you just help us to be more obedient to you, help us to trust you more, because you can do no wrong against us, and you are deserving of our obedience. So we thank you for that, and we thank you for just allowing us to be a part of your plan. And we love you, and thank you for everything you've given us. Jesus, and we pray. Amen.